It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. Who they think you're gonna beat them bangles? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It's the weekend, I hope, for you when you're listening to this. It's at least Thursday night, Friday. You're getting into your weekend groove. It's February. There's no football happening. But the combine's only a few weeks away, and we have a bunch of questions to go through because since it's the weekend, it's time for the mailbag. And we've also got a lead story to talk about, as we always do and this is going to be inspired by a question from Maddie Wayne and is in response to, I think, the week-long narrative we've dealt with, driven largely by Dan Patrick and the Dan Patrick Show about Joe Burrow, whether he should go to Cincinnati, whatever. And Matthew asked, if you're Duke Tobin, what is the specific plan you lay out to show Joe Burrow that the franchise is heading in the right direction? So let's get into that. So Duke Tobin will never have to prove to anyone in a real world scenario that I'm going to draft you and this is why you should come play for me because that's not the way the NFL draft works unless you're named Eli Manning or John Elway. For Joe Burrow, he is going to play for whoever drafts him and the Bengals are going to draft him. But for the sake of this hypothetical, let's say the draft didn't exist for some reason, but the Bengals were trying to convince a college quarterback who now two people we've heard of compared to Andrew Luck, one of the best prospects in a very long time. What do you do if you're the Bengals general manager, if not in name, in fact, to convince this guy to come play for you? What's the plan? First, you have to change the narrative. And I think you have to look at what everyone else is saying about the Bengals, whether it's true or not, or maybe over-exaggerated. Number one is that they're not fully committed to winning and building a championship team. The other part is that they won't spend money on free agents. Now, that one is pretty true. Uh, They're uh, amongst the least spending in terms of guaranteed money and outside free agent money over the last five years in the NFL. And then you have to show Joe Burrow that, times are changing and that they realize free agency is a path to filling out your roster. Whereas before it may have been lean first on the draft, fill in free agents as you go. And I think it's kind of changed over the last 10, maybe five years in the NFL. And the way to do that 
is by going out and doing it in March. Remember that March happens before April uh, as the calendar goes. The draft comes after free agency. You go out there, you sign a couple free agents. I think that starts to change the narrative just a little bit for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that could actually change the narrative more than a little bit because the easiest, lowest hanging fruit to go after Mike Brown with is you do not spend on outside free agents to make your team better. You are not trying relentlessly to win a Super Bowl. And you look at teams around the league, we've talked about the two teams that just were in the Super Bowl, the 49ers and the Chiefs, and the amount of free agents on both of those teams. You can point to New England in the past. They go out and make sure they get a guy like Randy Moss back in the day to propel that offense forward. Recently, it was Stephon Gilmore. And then you look at the way the Bengals have done business and the way that business model has broken down. And you start to pick apart why it's broken down. And it's because this is a team that, at their core, their philosophy, right, is built through the draft. And when you're not keeping the guys you hit on in the draft and you're not building draft capital by making creative moves with your veterans that you're not going to keep anyway, right, that we just talked about, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. There's so much that you're not doing then to maximize your roster and starting to take tangible, visible steps, as Joe said, in free agency, which is before the draft, is a very easy way to prove we're doing things differently this year. I think one area that's really big is the Bengals could defend themselves a little bit better. And what I mean is, while people are taking shots, you just never hear anything from them. And they really doesn't, they don't change the things they're being critiqued about, right? They could build a practice bubble. They could hire more scouts. They can put up a ring of honor and, and honor their players and, and their former greats that probably are underappreciated around nationally and don't get the recognition they deserve because the Bengals aren't sticking up for them themselves. So these are public things you could do that would help your fan base, help your fans also, and uh, give a little pride to the to the organization, uh, just not within the people, but outwardly. And everyone else around the, the league would take notice of these moves and maybe the, the narrative would shift a little bit again. Start fighting for your guys that are the fringe Hall of Fame candidates that haven't been in or are surefire Hall of Fame candidates that for whatever reason haven't been considered. Start it with Kenny Anderson. Use Kenny Anderson as your launching point for this campaign to honor your greats and drive that campaign, ignite the city to push that Hall of Fame campaign. These are things you can do to change the way everyone sees the Bengals, recognize that there is great history in this organization. There are a lot of great players that have been there. They've been seconds away from two Super Bowls. And instead, all anyone wants to talk about is the 90s. Talk about how close they were in recent years, too. There's just a lot, too much good that hasn't been recognized that you could build on. And then in addition, Joe, like you said, the low-hanging fruit, hire the scouts, modernize that way, get a practice bubble. These are easy things for a professional organization to do. And it's easy criticism to put to bed. And that is where I would go to sell Joe Burrow. So we have a bunch of your questions to get to. We're going to head there next. But before we do, we want to talk about mental fitness. We talk about physical fitness when we talk about football players all the time. There's another side of the game that's just as important. And LeBron James has partnered with the Calm app, the number one app for sleep and meditation to help you train your mind. LeBron says sleep is the most important part of his mental fitness routine. One of the most valuable things that he can do for his body, for his mind. 
And it's just like any other muscle, Joe. You got to train it to get it to perform its best, to reduce stress. And this is a great app to do that with. And if you head to calm.com slash lockdown, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you'll have access to all the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain on leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron at Rain on Leaves and using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Again, that's calm.com slash locked on for that 40% discount. And we've also got our third time returning sponsor, Abco Safety, the safety distributor located in Cincinnati, partnered with 3M to sponsor the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We, as always, greatly appreciate their patronage. And if you or your company purchase safety equipment, be sure to give them a call. Maybe you'll even get a handwritten note from Bob along with some gloves or some other cool stuff that you can check out on www.abcosafety.com, which is where Joe's browsing right now. I clicked on ergonomics because that is very important to everyone. Everyone's lifting, pushing, or pulling something. So I wanted to see what they had. And they've got uh, bubble back support. They've got knee pads, elbow pads, things to crouch down on, help you with lifting, with gloves, support on your wrists and knees and ankles. All that sounds great. Nothing more important than taking care of your body, avoiding those repetitive stress injuries at work. Ergonomics, that speaks truly to my heart. Remember that they establish corporate pricing for their customers. Give them a shot at quoting your safety equipment to see how much they can save you. Give them a call, 513-672-1818, and mention the Lockdown Bengals podcast so they know you came from us. It's the mailbag episode, and we'll jump right in. First one's from Dave Osborne. And we took this question because at the Lockdown Network, they give us pointers all the time. One of them is to not assume that our listeners know who we are. And while we've discussed this before, it's probably been a while. If not, we just had our one-year anniversary, Jake. So shout out to you guys that have been with with us that whole time. You've probably heard us explain this, but it's been a while. So Dave asks, he's curious on how we became such experts on the Bengals, draft players, and et cetera. He says he knows Jake worked for PFF, but he was wondering what my expertise was and more on Jake, too. What is our background that got us into this? So I really started paying attention to football, and this is going to be the same thing I've said before, when Marvin Lewis took over the Bengals. Before that, they were kind of like a present, but not very interesting or paid attention to thing in my life. Like my my friends around the neighborhood growing up, they weren't Bengals fans. And so when the Bengals hired Marvin Lewis, I was like, all right, this, this seems important. Everyone's talking about this. This is a big deal. They're going to draft Carson Palmer. All right, let's go. I got real invested, started watching a lot. And I started with Cincy Jungle. Uh, Bengals blog with, with Josh Kirkendall gave me a shot. Really enjoyed that for some period of time. Got busy then in college and um, took some time away. Came back to the PFF thing. But that whole time, you know, you, you watch a lot. And then PFF, you really start to dig into the detail. You start to see the game in a little bit of a different way. I read some books you know, take your eye off the ball, smart football by Chris Brown. And uh, those things really helped improve my understanding of the game. And the more you do it, you just start doing film breakdown. You say, you know what, this was an interesting play. I'm going to break down what happened on this play. You force yourself to learn the concepts that are going on so you can explain it to other other people. And it's one of those things where sometimes the best way to learn something is to try to teach it. And so that was a big learning point for me. Yeah, and, you know, I think the coincidence with 
the Marvin Lewis hire and being in high school for me too. I was in 10th grade when he was hired and that I always, I grew up, I love uh, baseball and I played baseball more than football and I cared about baseball more uh, than football. And then it was around that time where I also was like, man, there's more detail to this than, you know, expected when you play as a young kid, there's, it's very, you know, basic and they tell you what to do. You do it. And you don't really know what you're doing as you run around anyways. But, and then you get into high school and I didn't go to college. So I, my early 18, 19, 20, 21, becoming an adult was, man, I love football. I really enjoy the details of it more than I ever did playing it. It was more interesting to me to watch somebody play it and evaluate their performance or their technique or their ability and skill. Uh, and I just went more and more into that. And I think the proliferation of the NFL draft started really booming at this time, too, with Mel Kuyper. And I was like, man, that's this looks awesome. What he does is great. This is not only fantastic TV, but I want to know more about this. And I couldn't get enough of it from digesting everything I could in turn, like you with books and with people with scouting reports. And at that time, it was very basic Internet stuff for scouting reports in like 03, 04, 05. Um, and I just saw an avenue where it could be better and it could be a Bengals take on all of this stuff. You get the national people that were doing it at the time. And I just thought, you know, the beat writers have the role, but the role isn't really what I do or what I wanted to do. So if I could do this. And I didn't plan on doing it. It was just I started making comments and longer posts. And this is what I tell people when they ask me for advice. I, I kind of fell into it because I people liked it and wanted to know more. And I was I was terrible at writing and I, I kind of still am not very good at it. But uh, I love football and I, I, I think I can break it down for the average person that also enjoys it. And from there, my appetite for it has never really ceased and I just keep you know wanting to know more and learn more and do more and experience more and experiment with it more too because I, I will grade these players and, and figure out what works what doesn't what can lead to success I've been wrong on players before and I go back and I say probably because you overvalued this trait that really doesn't apply anymore because the game keeps changing and keeps valuing different parts of, of, of a player's skill set and as that happen, if happens it forces you to go back and learn more and, and change what you do so it always stays interesting for me. And that's how I've done it. I, I started writing posts on Cincy Jungle and the fan posts. And they were like, hey, people seem to like this. You want to do this every once in a while for us? And I said, sure. And from there, it went to different blogs and different opportunities. Bleacher Report reached out because I used to write a lot of stuff, post a lot of videos on Twitter. They reached out and said, hey, we want people to scout. Um and this is a paying job and you're going to scout NFL players all year long and grade them and submit your grades and your analysis. And I was like, this is awesome. And I did that for a few years and then the athletic called and they had a bigger opportunity. So I've been doing that now for two years and a couple of months. You made a couple of really interesting points in there that I really liked. And one of them was that the detail of the game is really interesting. I don't love football for the violence or the athleticism. The athleticism is pretty crazy to watch sometimes, but just the detail, the design, that stuff's really interesting to me. And the other thing, the other point that you made that I really liked was about the way the game is changing. It's, it's You watch a college game, you watch a pro game, totally different games. And it's just so hard to stay ahead of it, right? Because the changes are coming. You, you never know what the trends really are until you get to this point in the year, actually, when you can sit here and say, okay, let's look at the retrospectives. And the way football is going now with the data that's coming into it, we're getting so much more of that. I think that now is a perfect time to be a football fan. But we have some questions to get to that aren't about us. It's fun to talk about ourselves. The first set of questions we're going to talk about here about what's on the team right now 
And then we're going to get into some speculation, talk about what might come this offseason. Our first question should be a pretty quick one, Joe. Chico Ruiz, 2654, first-time question here. In your opinion, will Ryan Finley be on the team in 2020, or will he be in the league at all? I think he will be in the league, so I'll start there. I think that's the easy one. Um, and, you know, so Nathan Peterman's still in the league. These guys will play. I don't know if he'll be on the team. I think that is definitely up for debate. Is he a good enough backup for Burrow in terms of helping a rookie get acclimated to the NFL game? I'm not so sure, but if you look at veteran backup quarterbacks, they're getting paid a decent amount, amount in the NFL. I don't know if that's worth it. If you're going to give Burrow about $7 million and that's – probably his cap hit for year one being the number one overall pick given a little increase to what Kyler Murray had last year and you want to go out and give six million to uh, Marcus Mariota maybe and he might get more than that then you're quickly negating any benefit you have at uh, as a rookie quarterback on that deal so I think Finley is on the team if I were to make a bet right now interesting I think he has to fight for his job I think it's gonna be they might bring in a Matt Moore type career backup that has experience with Zach Taylor and then they might let Dola Gala and Finley fight it out to see if they're even going to keep three quarterbacks I think Finley is an uphill battle a little bit but you make a good point about the salary figures next question from E. Pondle the ideal plan is to trade Andy Dalton and Cordy Glenn for some draft capital but who would be realistically interested in Glenn so this question isn't a who's interested in Glenn it's what's the market for Cordy Glenn, right? Because there are teams in the NFL that need a tackle. And when Cordy Glenn played, he played an above average, for the most part, level at left tackle. And he was coming off an injury. He was coming off a missing a bunch of time away from the team, not in great shape. And once he rounded into shape, he was playing fine. So any team that needs a left tackle should be interested in Cordy Glenn, in my opinion. The price tag won't be as high now as it was when the Bengals traded for him. But if you need a tackle... You can do a lot worse than Cordy Glenn. Yeah, the Bengals basically gave up a second-round value for Cordy Glenn and missed out on a bunch of players, was basically forced to miss out on Frank Ragnow taking Billy Price. So that they probably paid more. <laughs> you know, in retrospect, they gave up their first-round pick also because that guy is now on the bench. Um, that's a, Actually, I've never said that out loud. That's a weird way to look at it, but probably true. But for Cordy Glenn right now, I think – I'm, I'm from what I understand, no one called during the, the trade deadline for him. Uh, they eventually benched him again because they wanted to see Fred Johnson at the end of the year. I don't know what Cordy he isn't. The Bengals have no leverage here. I'm not sure he has any leverage. I think if anyone calls, it's for a late round pick, which you know what? That's probably what they should do and probably should take it. If that's the case, sixth, seventh rounder, they should jump on it because uh, I could see them just cutting him because it won't cost them a dollar to do so. You know what? He didn't play at all before the trade deadline, though. And he showed maybe down the stretch there that, hey, I can still play. So if I would say that there's a chance to get a fifth, fourth, maybe round pick for him, if that makes any difference to NFL teams. But you're right about the leverage bit. Next question comes from Varney B. Is there any indication that Joe Mixon is actually planning to hold out? Or is that just an assumption based on what some other running backs have done. And and Joe, this is going to be a conversation we're going to have to have over a longer period of time than we have right now. We have about a minute to discuss this, but let's get the, the bird's eye view and then we'll get into it in detail in an episode down the road. I think it's an assumption, but one with some decent backing. And it's that he, well, number one, the running backs around the league have done it. And I think it's our 
you know, they have to fight for their money. I don't think it's handed to these guys, and we've gone into why and why it's a, probably a bad idea. It's going to bite them in the butt. Good chance that it would bite them in the butt if they extend him for big money because it seems to be happening for everyone around the league. Uh, but will he actually hold out? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. It's it's kind of interesting to hear him talk about it, and he, he seems very positive usually, but he also – I mean, I think he understands running backs get paid one time and the Bengals aren't in position to really um, haggle over a, a couple million dollars with Joe Mixon because of the, the situation they're in without a lot of stars on the team. Plus, he just has that swagger and he's just such a positive force in the locker room. Sounds like he's really well liked. We have a bunch more questions to get to here. We have a couple more about the current players and coaches that we'll get to after the break before we get into the offseason stuff. So we'll get to that here in just a minute. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go. Not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona, take yourself a little spring break, plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? Nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Our next question in the mailbag comes from OSU Bengals, and he wants to know what our grade is for Zach Taylor as the first year as head coach. I'm going to say D+, plus, hmm. maybe C-, minus objectively speaking if i had big expectations coming into the year it would be an f right anytime you have a 2 and 14 season it's an f but i cut him some slack because for one the overwhelming word from our uh 
beat writers is that the locker room is still 100% behind him. And the team played a little bit better in the second half, for sure. And, um, you know, they made some adjustments there. And they dealt with a pretty rough slate of injuries, namely A.J. Green and Jonah Williams. And so for those reasons, I'm giving him a little slack. Joe, what's your grade? I was almost finishing every sentence you were making right there because I we're almost in lockstep on this. And I was thinking C minus at first, and then you said D plus, and I said, hmm. And then you said, oh, maybe C minus. <laughs> so like, I'm like, well, maybe I can break this down a little bit further then because we're just going to parrot each other a little bit. Um, as I do, I like to grade everything because he had so many different roles and different tasks. I mean, as a play caller, a lot of people had – or some people had issues. I didn't never had an issue all year with the play calling. I think there were, the lack of execution far outweighed yeah. what the calls were on the field. So yeah. for me there, I'm like it's a B-minus play calling, which is fine. I'm actually excited to see where he goes year two with another year of experience as a play caller. And a new quarterback. Uh, yes, which is huge. I mean, all of a sudden he could look like a great offensive coordinator with the change at quarterback. And then I go, I, I like the point of locker room, and because I think that definitely earns him some points because it seems, from what we hear, he didn't lose them. And he could have easily, and it could have gotten bad. And it didn't. It got bad for the Browns and Freddie Kitchens. It could have, that, it wasn't that situation, clearly. Uh, I think you have to grade on the results, and I'm with you, it would be an F. You go 2-14, and 14, that's an F in every city. I don't care, you know, what team world can I hear, even if it's the Bengals. Uh, so that's where I come and I'm settling around because I think results matter. But And I do like the I, – I hate the first eight games. I like the last eight games in terms of projecting the future. So maybe that trend is leaning me to be a little bit more um, forgiving than I should be. So I'm going to go with the NSC minus. There you go. So now we get into our questions about the future, talking about potential newcomers, the draft, free agency, talking about some predictions here. First question in this segment comes from Jonah Wheeler. What are the odds that the Bengals take Thaddeus Moss, or I'm going to say for Jonah here, or another tight end, even after drafting Drew Sample last year? Jonah read I, that. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Jonah read that Thaddeus Moss was Joe Burrow's best friend at LSU. Right, I, that may help. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the Bengals have drafted two players from one school uh, fairly often in their history. I, you know, I, when I go on my uh, spreadsheet I see it come up a lot um, but I will say the odds of taking a tight end I, I think it's interesting we've taken him we took one last mock draft Monday Adam Troutman out of Dayton uh, it just seems when you get in those mid rounds and tight end is one of those I it kind of reminds me of running back or receiver and maybe that's just because it's like weapon positions on offense and not how often they're being rotated in the NFL but I think if you can find one and you look at the Super Bowl, I, we did the comparison of which team the Bengals should try and emulate, right? One of the comments we got back are, where do we find an all-world tight end? And my response was, somewhere in the middle rounds. It seems like where the, where the Chiefs and 49ers did it. I, I no One question last year when I talked to Kyle Shanahan at the Senior Bowl in 2019, I wanted to ask, how do we find a a uh, Kittle, right? Everyone's looking for one. And just to see what he would have said, what he could have remembered at the time. I didn't get the chance to ask that one, but... I think about that. Like you got a guy who's supremely athletic and a tenacious blocker in college, just didn't get the production. So he goes in the fifth round. That's kind of how that happens. What is the one thing you're willing to slide on? And it seems like tight end lately is production. And that was, it was sample, but he was not a Supreme athlete. So I'm still willing to take a role on that dice again, if the similar guy is there in the fourth round or so. And Sample is a good, not great athlete. And we've talked about the fact that tight ends need a couple years. And I think if Sample's healthy, he should take a step forward in year two. But how much of a step is a huge question. 
Huge question. I, I mean, I'm not relying on that. I just think it's something that could happen. As far as taking a guy because he's Burrow's best friend, that is unlikely. However, LSU is absolutely stacked, and it would not shock me at all to see the Bengals dip in on another LSU player. And in fact, I think, and this probably is because we've watched Joe Burrow and thus LSU and are thus familiar with those players. I am often inclined when going through these mock draft simulators to take a second LSU player. It's hard not to. I mean, not even Thaddeus Moss. I mean, tell me you want to pick, take Patrick Queen at 33. And then, you know, you, you get Damian Lewis, Lloyd Cushenberry, Thad Moss, Justin Jefferson, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I don't care if he plays running back. I think he is fantastic. So, uh, yes, I think it's going to be hard to not find yourself with another LSU player. Next question from Greg Borchers. Could the Bengals' offense benefit from adding an H-back fullback? I feel like they've tried. They tried with Marvin Lewis a lot, I think, to find a guy for this role. And the ones that are really good, well, there's one that's really good, and it's Kyle Ustrek. And he right. is a less athletic version of George Kittle, right? So yeah. you got to find a guy who can run good routes, who can also block, who can be a good athlete. So, yeah, I think every offense in the NFL would benefit from this. Joe Burrow, though, last year, worth, worth mentioning, 97-plus percent of his snaps from the shotgun – he will take more snaps under center in the NFL for sure. But that might not happen a ton in year one. They might kind of ease that in as as they get things ramped up with a first-year quarterback. So is this a high priority? No. Is it something that can benefit the team? Absolutely. If you can go out there and try to find a guy who can be 80% of what check is, then you're you're probably pretty happy with that player. Yeah, I don't think you add an H-back or fullback just because. Yeah. I think if you find a guy that is capable and flexible enough, there's a lot of tight ends. When you look at they're like 6'2 guys, and you're like, oh, maybe that's your H-back fullback. But will he block? Will he lead at the point of attack? It doesn't always translate that way. Um, I am down to take one if there's some guy I think that can be an asset or, or a weapon to this team. We've compared, again, the Chiefs and the Niners, and both teams used a fullback. Use check. You're not going to find one. If you find one, I'm down. Let's do it. But with Anthony Sherman on the Chiefs, he played about 9% of the snaps. It's not like they, you know, used him in that offense big time. It was more situational, really defined roles for him. Uh, even in the Super Bowl, I think it was less than 10% of the time he was out there, even though I can visibly remember one block he made on that last long run for Damian Williams. So there's a need at times, but how often are you actually playing that guy to where you're not going to keep somebody else that, even if it's just a special teamer. Is that how we think of fullbacks? Is it, it's almost special teams. And at that point, those guys are bottom five on the roster. And I bet the Bengals have tried a few times. You just end up cutting them because you don't think you'll use them enough. Yeah, there are 12 guys on PFF's list of fullbacks in the NFL this year. 12. And of those, the one with the most snaps is Kyle Juszczyk at 224. Second is CJ Hand, 223 for Minnesota. These guys, it's not a lot. Yeah, there's not enough snaps there to really justify the roster spot unless he's special. And Kyle Juszczyk, he, he adds a special dimension. And again, most of that is in the passing game. And we even we were talk, we looked at some 49ers players. Remember, they played 1,300 snaps, including the, the Super Bowl and everything. So if you're playing 250 of those, I mean, what's the percentage now at? You're, you're not out there even much more than Anthony Sherman is. So do you prioritize it? No. If one happens to come along who's special, great. Next question comes from Back Zaker. I think his name is Zach Baker. What do you think? His question is, 
What causes players like Tyler Beattis from Wisconsin to fall from best of their position to day three, potentially, before the combine or pro day? And what about Patrick Queen, the other way around, going from off the radar to now being a potential first-round prospect? I like this question. I like process questions. How does this stuff happen? What's What do you think is happening in, in this scenario or situation? And for Beattis, I think part of it is well, first, I think the process says you've got these scouts from all over the, the country feeding back your information, your grades to the uh, director of, of scouting, to the GM, to the coaches, right? And you get those, and now you're putting on the tape. And I think now that we see coaches put on the tape and get to these guys, you see that, well, I don't know if he's that good or that athletic. You start to get some measurements to trickle in. You start to get some expectations for for uh, timing and, and what they may run or yada, yada. And for me, I think that's when guys start to separate a little bit. And maybe they get placed, well, maybe he's not a late first rounder. Maybe he's a mid-second round pick. And that's how guys cool off a little bit. Patrick Queen's the opposite. Because he's a junior, and even Duke Tobin talked about this, a lot of those grades won't be done on junior players. The grades that come in throughout the year are for senior players. And then you get there in January, and you get this group that will declare the expectation for a lot of them are that they will declare, and you'll start to have those grades. But some of these guys that maybe didn't start or didn't have uh, the production until that junior year, Patrick Queen being one of them, and then he declares, you have no grade on him. So now people are going back and grading him now, and quickly he'll, he'll go from a third-round prospect to what, like, if it goes even further, if he goes and crushes the combine, don't be surprised we're talking about Patrick Queen top 16. And Patrick Queen didn't even start at the beginning of this season for LSU. So there's exactly. a reason that people are getting to him late because his early production for LSU was not special. And then his last four or five games, he looked great. I watched a couple of them. He looks the part. And he's people are saying he's undersized. He didn't look it to me. So we'll have to see what he weighs in at the combine. That could have a little bit of an impact on his stock. And then Beata's, yeah, exactly like you said. You get these guys in the opposite case that are expected based on their junior year. This guy next year is going to be the best center in the class. And then they go out, they they have a bad year. They regress a little bit. Or and, they have the same year and that you didn't get the product you didn't get the development sure. and an upward trend. Sure. Beatas is one who had a worse year in, in this mm-hmm. specific example. Uh if you ask most people, he took a step back this year. And so when things like that happen, that that's how you have these late, you know, Beatas people catch up on the film and they're like, Oh, you know, I gotta update my evaluation. NFL teams probably uh, not quite as fluid as public perception. Those things probably happen in a little bit faster real time because, you know, they'll go see a game and they'll be like, okay, we got to go knock this guy down. We got to go watch a couple other games and move him up or down. Um, but it's probably fairly fluid during the season, right? Because these guys are still putting out new new film to evaluate. So um, I think that that's a pretty good summary of, of how that happens. And we're out of time. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Next week, all week, is a crossover week with the entire AFC North. We've got conversations on how the year went for each team, what we're going to look for in 2020. Probably going to talk a little bit of smack. And then on Friday that week, you'll get a show looking at our divisional opponents. So we play, what, the NFC... I don't even know. It's not the NFC West. That's all I know. And so we'll talk about those opponents on Friday next week. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one.
Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.